0: Welcome to the Peprel Baptist Podcast, where we seek to equip the church to make disciples of the Lord Jesus among all ages and in all places. So take out your Bible and a pen and let's jump into the word together once again. If you got a copy of God's word, I'd ask you to turn to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Chapter seven. Still continuing on with this guy named Melchizedek. Uh, There's much to be gained here, and by God's grace, uh, we'll do that here tonight. We'll be looking at verses eleven through nineteen of Hebrews chapter seven. Let me let me read it and then we'll dive into it together. Hebrews chapter seven, verse eleven. Now if perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to appear, said to be according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron? For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must be a change of law as well. For the one these things are spoken about belong to a different tribe, No one from it has served at the altar. Now it is evident that our Lord came from Judah, and Moses said nothing about that tribe concerning priests. And this becomes clearer if another priest like Melchizedek appears, who did not become a priest based on on a legal regulation about physical descent, but based on the power of an indestructible life. For it has been testified, You are a priest forever. According to the order of Melchizedek. So the previous command is annulled because it was weak and unprofitable, for the law perfected nothing, but a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. I've been sweating about teaching this passage all week because I realize it's not an easy text to deal with, nor understand, much less to try to explain. But as I was thinking through it, I began reminiscing about watching batting practice before the Braves game when I was a kid. You know, we always planned to get there early for this, hoping that we might snag a few homers that they had hit into the seats before the game, maybe even get them autographed by Chipper Jones if he was feeling generous that day. There was always a lot of kids, as I remembered this, there was always a lot of kids that got to be on the field during batting practice. I never was one of those kids, but I remember seeing them. They were out there, I don't know who they were or why they were there, but they were out there snagging ground balls, fly balls, and playing catch with a few of the players, the Braves players. And I can remember thinking, man, I wish I got to do that. I wish I got to be out there. I wish I got to get that close. Of course, I knew I couldn't. If I had attempted to jump over the wall, I would either have injured myself or been arrested, one of the two. So I knew I couldn't do it, and I had to enjoy batting practice from a distance. Never privileged enough to get on Turner Field. And you know, in a small way, that maybe reflects how some of the Old Testament Israelites felt about the temple and what we call the Levitical priesthood. It is a glorious experience, but limited access with the exception of a few privileged people. You know, to appreciate what the preacher of Hebrews is saying here in this passage, we really need to put ourselves into the shoes of these original readers, these first century Jewish Christians who were very, very familiar with the temple, the priesthood, and all that goes along with that, how it all works together. So, beginning with the temple... We probably should understand that it really was a glorious place unlike any other place on the planet. Its predecessor, its forerunner, was the tent of meeting and the tabernacle where the book of Exodus tells us that Moses would go and meet with God face to face and talk with Him as a man talks with his friend. Now the architecture had certainly changed over the centuries and had become more fascinating, had certainly went far beyond a tent or a tabernacle, especially during the days of Solomon's reign when the people built this impressive structure. But the principle was still the same. Regardless of how cool the building looked, this was the place. This was the one place. This was the singular place in all the world where you came to experience the presence of the living God, to worship The living God, to to secure forgiveness of sin, to be in right relationship with God, to be changed by your encounter. However, how close you got really depended on who you were. You couldn't just barge into the Holy of Holies. It was something like me thinking about jumping over the wall at Turner Field. It was dangerous. You couldn't just barge into the Holy of Holies, it would likely get you killed. Because God will not share his place with unholiness. Instead, only the high priest, and he but once a year, was permitted limited access, was permitted to enter that area of the temple, the Holy of Holies. And moreover, the areas that were surrounded by the Holy of Holies were guarded too, limiting access to only a certain group of people the Levites. So while the temple in Jerusalem offered this glorious experience, it also permitted a very limited access for people to draw near to God in worship. You could only get so close, depending on who you were. And you know, that, that really ought to hit at our hearts. I know we're far removed from that. We're far removed from the temple being a physical structure that we see. We, we, we don't, we're not Jews we're not living in Palestine or Rome. We've Never seen the temple, most of us, unless you've been over there or the ruins of it. It ought to really hit at our hearts, though, because it hits at the purpose of our existence. You think about this. We exist to enjoy God. Our purpose in life is fulfilled most when we live our lives in worship to the King of Kings instead of sinfully living for ourselves. If you feel like you're wasting your life, it's probably because you're spending it on yourself. If you want fulfillment in this life, if you want real joy in this life, the only way to have it is to serve God, to serve the Lord, to serve the King of Kings, to worship Him, to be in relationship with Him. Our hearts are most satisfied when we encounter the presence of God. And to be frank, that's, that's what heaven's going to be. Heaven's going to be that, a never ending life of worship where believers from every tribe, nation, and tongue praise, enjoy, and adore the triune God forever. And if that doesn't excite you, maybe that's not the destination you're heading to. That's what heaven will be. That's why we were made. That's the purpose of our existence, to enjoy God, to praise Him and worship Him. So here's the point of this passage, at least I think it is, that we're studying tonight. The author is arguing that the access that Jesus gives us into the presence of God is better than the access offered at the temple through the Levitical priest. And because of that, it would be foolish for these Jewish Christians to abandon their access in Christ to participate in the temple religion once again. He's trying to persuade them to not give up the better access to the presence of God that they have. And to that end for us here today, he would be encouraging us to press forward. What wonderful privileges we have through Christ to experience God, to know God. To be in relationship with Him. The author would encourage us. Press further in. Go deeper with the Lord. Draw closer and closer to worship Him. Both through corporate worship of the church. Y'all know when we get together on Sunday, it's not just for fun, right? Like, there's a spiritual benefit for that for you. There's a benefit for that. It energizes you, yes... But you experience the presence of God in such a unique way when you gather with brothers and sisters. So draw near to God through corporate worship and do it also in your individual lives as you serve Him in in, in faithfulness and obedience. So how does he make the argument? If that's what he's trying to do, to, to encourage us to press closer, to draw closer to God through Jesus, how does he make the argument? Well, I think he explains it in this way. What Levi lacked... Christ completes. What Levi lacked, Christ completes. Look with me again at the argument, verses 11 through 14. Now if perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to appear, said to be according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron? For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must be a change of law as well. For the one these things are spoken about belong to a different tribe. No one from it has served at the altar. Now it is evident that our Lord came from Judah, and Moses said nothing about that tribe concerning priest. In these verses, he identifies the need for a change in the priesthood. That is, there is a lack in the Levitical priesthood, and the need to change. Now, we've already covered why that is, but but I want to help you to see how he's making that exact point here in verse 11. Verse 11 is really a rhetorical question. It's almost like he's asking, if it ain't broke, why fix it? He's asking a rhetorical question here. Why fix it if it ain't broke? However, he expects us to understand that the Levitical way of drawing near to God is really not sufficient. It's really not effective. It's really not satisfying. It doesn't perfect us. Now, if perfection were attainable through the Levitical priesthood, it's really not. It doesn't perfect us. But before we interpret that wrongly, there's another way to translate that word. The English word complete or fulfill probably more accurately captures the idea behind perfection then. It completes us. So what is he asking? Well, he's not asking this. Does the sacrificial system keep you from making any mistakes? That's not what he's asking. He's asking you this. Does the sacrificial system completely satisfy your desire to know and experience God? He's asking these first century Jewish Christians that question. Y'all are thinking about going to the temple. Does that really satisfy your heart and desire to know God and experience Him? So the issue is not morality, but access. And that is key to understanding what he's getting at in verses 12 through 13. When he says that a change in the priesthood inevitably means a change of law as well, what he means is that the manner by which sinners approach God has changed if a new priesthood has been established. In effect, he makes the point that the temple system is lesser when compared with Jesus, but he's also making point that the work of Christ has caused the temple to be totally ineffective. It no longer is an effective approach to worship or secure forgiveness of sins. You can slaughter all the bulls you want on the steps of Jerusalem, and it will not atone for one little sin. Not a single one. It's no longer effective. The point is that with Levi or anyone else for that matter, with anyone else, you lack access to God because you have been given a better priest in Jesus who's established a better way with a better access. As Jesus says it so well in John 14:6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The rest of this passage through verse 17 really has one goal then. To give three pieces of evidence that make clear that God has installed a new priesthood with Jesus. That there really has been this change in approach. That you no longer go to the temple. That you no longer slaughter bulls. That you approach God in one singular way. Through repentance in faith in Christ and in Christ alone. If you want to know God, He's your access. And He's going to give us evidence to make that argument. And the evidence is this. First... His lineage, according to the old covenant, the priests were to have come through the tribe of Levi, which was in succession with the first high priest, Aaron, Moses's brother. He belonged to the tribe of Levi. But the expectation of the scripture was that God would one day raise up a Messiah, a king through the tribe of Judah, who would also rule and redeem the people of God. Now, as the author makes clear, no one from Judah has ever served at the altar. No one from that tribe has ever functioned in this way. And Moses had provided nothing. He said nothing about priests coming from this tribe. So what is the author of Hebrews then talking about in verse 13 when he says, For the one these things are spoken about belong to a different tribe. What's he getting at here? What are the things that were spoken? Where are the expectations that connect the the Messiah as a high priest to? And I think the connection is the precedent that we get in Scripture from this guy named Melchizedek. It's what we've been studying in Hebrews chapter 7 this whole time. He's building his entire argument off this character. This character Melchizedek, ruler and priest, who as far as the story of Scripture is concerned, lived on forever. We talked about that last week in Genesis 14. He enters the story when he meets Abraham coming back from the war with the kings and then nothing else is ever said about him. There's no genealogy. There's nothing recorded anywhere about this guy just suddenly disappearing. He just is gone. He just vanishes. And the whole point that he's making here is that because there's no genealogy, his work continues on. He's not like the Levitical priest who died year after year after year after year. He's not like all the tombstones out there. He's not like that. He continues on and on. His work continues. His story never ends. The point becomes clear or clearer as the text says in verse 15. When we connect the dots between the resurrection of Jesus and God appointing him as high priest... He's not a high priest after the order of Aaron. He's not like the Levites who died. He's a high priest like Melchizedek who wasn't appointed on the basis of a genealogy or the family tree. But by the power of an indestructible life. When he was resurrected from the dead. He was installed as a new priest. A new priesthood took effect at that moment. And because we know and believe this to be true of Jesus, that God resurrected him from the dead, that he established a new priesthood with Jesus, do you realize what this means? It's the evidence that he is our access to God. We also know that the previous way of approaching God has been rendered ineffective and a better hope has been introduced through which we draw near to God. And that better hope is the Lord Jesus Christ who gives us full access into the presence of God because He cleans us to the very core. Through and through all the way to the end. He makes us new and gives to us His righteousness while removing all of our sins. And We will have a lot more to say about the power of the blood of Jesus in the weeks and chapters to come, specifically when we get into chapter 9. But I want to end tonight with a very important question. Are you drawing near to God in worship through the access that Jesus gives? My friend, if if you're trying to approach the Lord in any other way, be it by your own works or by somebody else or something else, a family heritage, whatever it may be, it is ineffective. It's the same idea as someone trying to sacrifice a bull on the steps of Jerusalem. It's ineffective. It doesn't work. It's not an approach anymore. You have no access that way. But if you are approaching the Lord through repentance and faith in Jesus, then you have all the access in the world and more. You can have as much of God as your heart can fathom. Your experience with the Lord can be as deep as you desire it to be. you return to my illustration at the beginning. No longer am I jealous of those privileged, privileged little boys out on Turner Field. I have been made privileged by the grace and blood of Jesus, and I have access into the presence of God through Him. Have you drawn near to God through the Lord Jesus? If not, then do so tonight. Enter into this life through repentance and faith. Turn away from yourself. Turn away from your sins and turn to Christ. And enjoy relationship with the Father today, tomorrow, and forevermore. And if you've already done that, press further in. Pursue more of God. Pursue a deeper experience with the Lord. Seek to know Him more deeply, more fully. I don't care what your age is. You can never learn too much about the Lord. Keep growing. Keep learning. Keep pressing forward. Keep being changed from one degree of glory into another by your encounter with the living God. Press onward and enjoy all that God has provided for you in His Son, Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for our time together tonight. Lord, I pray you would encourage us with this difficult passage. Lord, help us to see the truth here. That we have a clear access into your presence through Jesus. What a privilege we have. What joy we have. Lord, that is an ointment for whatever trial we experience in life. Regardless of how difficult this life becomes, our access to you never changes. Regardless of how hard or how long the days become, our access to you is never hindered. We are no longer held outside of the veil. We are no longer on the other side of the wall. But we can enjoy your warm embrace. We can enjoy your presence, the fellowship of your presence. And Lord, I pray you would encourage our hearts to seek such. To seek such a life, such a walk with you. Lord, if there be one here tonight who doesn't know you in the saving way. If there be a person here tonight, Lord, who's been trying to approach you through all kinds of ways. Through their own works, through their own efforts. Lord, help them to see the error of that. That they have no access to you that way. It's all in vain. It doesn't matter how morally good they are. All that matters, all that matters, Lord, is that we come to you and approach you through the one avenue that you've given us, through your Son, Jesus. And Lord, I pray you give them repentance and faith. They see that truth and respond obediently. Lord, help us. Help us to rejoice in you and to lead others to rejoice in you too. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the grace you give us in your Son and the joy that we have in knowing you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Have a great week. I'll see you Sunday morning. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to catch our sermon series of the Gospel of Mark on Sundays at 11 a.m either at the church campus or on our Facebook live stream at Pepperell Baptist Church online. Have a great week. Blessings.